You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my favorite co-host, Chris Thompson. Hey, Danny. What's up, man? It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. You know, very excited about this week's episode. Tell the listeners what we're talking about today. Okay, so we brought in Rick Martin. Rick's a real estate investor and the founder of uh, Fortress Federation Investments. You know, we spoke a lot about, uh, you know, how he's able to use his previous experience to his advantage, you know, when he's helping clients understand, you know, investing in multifamily real estate syndications and spotting red flags uh, when doing underwriting. And he's got a lot of good insights, a lot of good stuff, man. A lot of good stuff in this episode, and I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, just going to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. It really helps us grow the podcast, attract more guests, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. And if you're a passive investor or looking to get into passive investing, then head over to our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can grab our guide for passive investing in apartment syndications. It's just a great introduction to the world of passive investing in apartment syndications. So make sure to check that out. Also, grab our apartment syndication sample deal. This is going to help you get comfortable with looking at this type of investment. So when the real opportunities come your way, you'll be ready. And if you have any questions about what's in either of these resources, drop us a line anytime on our website's contact us page. Or you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're posting some great content on there, so make sure to follow us and start connecting. All right, let's jump Hello, into the show. everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Two Smart Assets Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, today, our guest is Rick Martin. Uh, Rick's a veteran real estate investor and the founder of Fortress, Federal, Fortress Federation Investments, which helps investors establish passive income streams and grow their wealth by investing in real estate syndications. Uh, he purchased his first single-family residence in 1997, but when life took a change only a year later, he decided to put that house up for rent. He discovered passive income, and off he went. Rick's real estate holdings have taken him throughout Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles, Desert Hot Springs, California, Indianapolis, Columbus, Ohio, Jacksonville, Florida, Longview, Texas, and also Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, and most recently, South Carolina. Uh, Rick also leads a career in entertainment and commercial advertising, filling clients' needs that include NBC, ABC, ESPN, Lionsgate Films, and Columbia Pictures, just to name a few. He leverages his experience as a real estate investor. So leaning on his background, he provides educational content for his investors to help them understand investing in real estate and multifamily syndications. Rick has also been a limited partner in over 1,100 units around the country. So he fully understands the passive investing benefits as he's now entering the syndication himself. Rick, it's great to see you, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Chris, man, well done. That was a mouthful. I got to shorten that up. I feel bad. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's got a lot of good information and uh, stuff that we we like to hear. So yeah, leave it alone. But, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for coming on the show, man. You, you clearly have a, a, an interesting background. So let's just rewind just a little bit and talk to us a little bit more about your background, how you got into real estate and, you know, kind of how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, um, it's, it's probably not the normal path one takes to real estate, but, um, I, I was in college and, uh, all throughout college and prior to college, actually, I had an interest in music. My family 
was a family of musicians, but our mom and dad, they didn't want us to be musicians, you know? So they, they wanted us to go to business school and the University of Washington, actually not all of us, but that's what I did. I went to the UW in Seattle and uh, graduated from their business school. And, um, you know, it just, it didn't feel right to climb into a corporate job. Um, I had the dream uh, of being a musician, you know, and I, I wanted to do that. And um, they weren't too excited about it, but I did pursue that. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was an exciting time. Um, it was a challenging time cause you're constantly a starving artist. Um, but, uh, all, all during that time, I always had this sort of a pragmatic side to me where, um, you know, I learned about investing in mutual funds, you know, dollar cost averaging and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, wasn't really up on the real estate thing it was just more or less looking for a house to buy, to live in, which I did, uh, eventually. Cause I, you know, though I was a musician not making a ton of dough, um, I was, you know, I always had jobs. I had day jobs, I had night jobs, and, um, you know, money was coming in, and, and it didn't cost that much to buy a house back then. I'm, I'm really no spring chicken here, so it was a while, a while ago. And um, so I, I bought a house in Seattle, and, um, you know, pretty quickly during that time, I, I kind of realized, okay, maybe I'm not going to be a rock star after all. Um right. And uh, tra- I transitioned into just playing some uh, jazz, <clears throat> jazz clubs and whatnot, because I when I studied music, I studied jazz. So just playing some jazz gigs and making like 30 bucks a night, maybe getting a free meal if I was lucky. Wow. Um, and so I was like, you know what, am I going to be like a music teacher? And, and that didn't really appeal to me. So I took I took a, a left turn. Um, and uh, even though I had my degree, I, I knew that I was a creative person. Now, that's something it's important to recognize within yourself. Are you creative? Are you right brain, left brain? And, and it was becoming clear to me that uh, the, the creative side was pulling me um, that direction, even though I had that pragmatic side. You know, so I went I went off to film and media school. And that's kind of what got me into my current uh, career in the uh, entertainment advertising business, you know, doing editing, animation, art direction, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, all the while I kept at it with real estate. Um, you know, some didn't go great, uh, but never, never have lost money. Even back in 2008, you know, um, the things I had bought right prior to, to 2008, like I bought a place in uh, Vegas, uh, 2004, and um, that wasn't looking so pretty in 2008 and looking really bad in 2010. And, mm. but, you know, I held on and um, stuck with it. And um, I actually ended up not doubling down in Vegas, so to speak, but um, it was 2011 and people were still, I think people were still um, a little worried about the market, but things were kind of, that was kind of like the bottom, you know? And um, I actually uh, had the opportunity to partner on a couple uh, houses. And then another deal was a couple other duplexes in uh, Palm Desert. And I had a partner and um, we, we, we wanted to buy these things. It looked like a great deal, but uh, how could we get the money? And, um, you know, I was not privy to the whole raising money thing. Uh, we, were, we were sort of like, okay, well, we have to bring our own money, but banks weren't lending. And, um, you know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I think there's a lesson here. I was like, okay, where am I going to get that money? And that's kind of where I discovered like the, the solo 401k, you know, I'm self-employed really. I'm an independent contractor. And um, I can't even tell you how I discovered the solo 401k, but I did. And, and I, I knew I had all this money locked up, you know, that was kind of reserved for 
um, you know, stocks and bonds and all that stuff that everybody thinks you have to invest in. And um, so I moved into the 401k and then, um, yeah, took took that out of like this UBS account um, and ended up uh, just, we just ended up paying cash for that and the uh, renovations. And that was a good move because uh, I've utilized that 401k ever since, uh, solo 401k ever since. Oh, that's awesome. It's uh <laughs> it's got a lot going on there and it's a, it's a, a an important important uh, thing that we talk about a lot is that the self-directed iras the solo 401ks like how they can be so beneficial and uh and like you just like you like so many people don't know you can use that somewhere else and generate you know all kinds of income you know just instead of just letting it sit there so yeah that's i don't i still think a lot of people don't get it you know, or are not aware of it. Right. You know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good tool to have. Right. No, exactly. Okay. So you, so we talked, you talked about like, like leaning on your, uh, leaning on your, your previous career experience and even your current experience. Like how is that translating? How are you able to like use that now um, Mm -hmm. in real estate? Yeah. Well, um, so there was a point where, you know, I, I came to the conclusion, okay, I want to get into multifamily. I forget how it happened. I think I was listening to a podcast and, you know, they're talking about accelerating your career. And, you know, once you learn about it, you realize, okay, yeah, this makes sense. The economies of scale um, really play into this. And it's something I want to take advantage of, but it's, mm. it's, not, it's not that easy to get into, you know, I mean, you can join, you know, mentorships and coaching programs and um, network all you want, but you sort of have to find your place. Right. And when I was thinking about real estate, I was thinking about like everybody else, well, real estate, you know, you go out and you find a market and you find a a property, good property. And then, you know, you've got to find a property management and, you you know, basically you're going to do acquisitions. You're going to do asset management. That's what you're going to do. Right. Well, syndications are, it's almost like a small company, right. And everybody has their, their role. And um, you want to make sure that you're complementing someone else's skill set and and that you're you're bringing value to them like they they look at you and they say okay i could use that so i was you know i'm out here in california the markets i'm looking in are like all over the country way far away from california so i was you know hopping on a plane to columbus to indianapolis um closer to home in arizona looking for properties meeting with brokers and whatnot but it's tough. You know, you're competing with people within those, those markets who can uh, just go look at a property, go walk a property, you know, get in their car, you know, drive 15, 20 minutes. Not to mention they have that unfair advantage of being there. You know, they, right. they've they lived there. They they know the blocks that are good. They know the blocks that are bad. Uh, they they have relationships with the property management, the, bro- the brokers. So, you know, I was kind of like, hmm, yeah, if I can't beat them, um, I should maybe join them. So how am I going to join them? Uh, I'm not going to be a better operator than them in their own market. I'm not going to be a better asset manager. So I was kind of banging my head against the wall, like, okay, how am I going to fit? And, um, you know, I just kind of like realized, well, okay, I'm going to start up writing my blog. I, I, I think I created a, a simple website. And I started releasing articles and um, you know, I was kind of tapping into my creativity. I was actually I think writing and economics was where I excelled in school. And uh, I just started writing and peppering in a little sense of humor. You know, I think it's important to be yourself, have your personality come out. And definitely you want to tell a little bit of story. Um, you don't want to just hop into, well, the camp rate. If you take the net operating income and divide, you know, you don't you don't really want to get right into that right away. Because, um, you know, people people have a soul and they like to connect with you. 
and something you might say might connect with them. So I have fun with the storytelling and um, I was getting some nice feedback, you know, from strangers, you know, which was cool. And that's sort of where I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of, I, I see where this is sort of going. You know, I can, I can write stories, basically articles um, about real estate, adding in all the knowledge that I have, I've garnered for the last several years and um, kind of tie it up in a bow and, and, and they'll get something out of it. And, you know, then I can start thinking about other ways to do that. And so, yeah, I'm in film and television out here. So that was kind of a obvious next step was to start getting into like video. If you go to my website at uh, www.fortressfederation.com, <laughs> um, you can, uh, you'll, you'll see some, some of my uh, animations in there. I keep them pretty simple. They're not like really elaborate. Um, like I'll do some 3D, you know, crazy stuff for some of the film but for this, it's, I just keep it simple, almost like stick figure, animated stick figures, sure. just getting getting the point across, um, explaining like what a syndication is, for example, or I have like a napkin math uh, segment that talks about how to evaluate the uh, purchase price of a building or, or um, how to figure out your cash on cash or what is an equity multiple. And it's all sort of uh, animated stuff. And then, uh, you know, I'll get in front of the camera, too, which I... I <laughs> Yes, I'm out here in Hollywood, but I'm not in front of the camera much. Um, and so that that was something new. But um, I think it's important for people to see you. You know, they can connect with you. Mm -hmm. uh, a voice is nice, too. Like these podcasts are great. But I think there's something important about you know having people see you and see that you're real. You know, so I, I, I started pushing myself, which was not a comfortable place to be. You know, they always say, you know, get out of your comfort zone. Well, that's one area that I, um, you know, was not comfortable for me. So. But I'm glad I, I did it. And I continue to do it. And, um, you know, sometimes something will just pop up in my mind where, you know, I had a, an investor conversation uh, a couple weeks ago where the, the guy we were, ta were talking about 401ks. He was actually just talking to me how he he, he, he came to me and said he was really inter interested in investing in a syndication. And um, but he just wasn't liquid and he didn't know when he was going to be liquid. And I had actually gotten the idea from someone I'd, 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 I'd spoken with where, you know, you got to ask people like, have you had a, a W-2 job that you left a while ago? And did they have an IRA and his money just sitting in there? And sure enough, he had about 58K sitting in there and he was he was totally excited. I told him about it. So now he uh, he switched that money into self-directed IRA and he's ready to go whenever he's he's ready. Pull the trigger. I'm going yeah, off may, here. <laughs> no, no, that's OK, man. You make you make some pretty good points. And, uh, you know, I come from a uh, you know, a little bit of a, I don't, I don't come from a creative background, but I have a creative background, you know, in terms of like, I love music, I love math and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, in studying engineering in college, I can completely understand what you're saying. You know, we, uh, as we began this podcast and stuff, you know, putting out literature to just help inform others and, and then putting out, you know, a, a newsletter. Um, I am terrible at creative writing, but it's like, you know, I can, uh, I can give you a 30 page lab report, just churning out facts, tell you exactly what happened, but it seemed, it's definitely seems more dry and people don't exactly gravitate to that, you know, but then just, it, you know, showing your face, putting a little bit of like your, of your voice in that, in that newsletter, you know, like, you know, if you can inject a little bit of humor, something, just tone it down a little bit from just being rigid and just data driven. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. we can hit, we can hit on some of those things for mm -hmm. sure. 
but it's not just so cut and dry. And almost immediately, as soon as I, like I, when I'm writing, I'm just thinking like, use your own voice, use your own voice. Mm -hmm. And I, and actually to that effect, you know, I end up dictating a lot of what I write versus typing it because that's actually me speaking it and it becomes more real, but almost immediately I started getting positive feedback from strangers yeah and like oh i mean it's working you know and so you know to yeah. that and like it's it's crucial I, to help connect uh you know with those people i don't know why it is it just they just it connect is. easier you touched on something there um when you said you dictate you know writing you don't want to write like you're writing a manual or there's a trick to writing sort of spoken like write like you're talking then you're having a conversation with people and, you know, whatever, pepper in some slang, you know, do some create, you, you know, if you ever use Grammarly, they'll give you the option. You can write, you know, technical or you can type business or you can choose casual. And I always go casual because like, why not? But having said all that, the fact that you you're talking about all that technical stuff, you do need that. Like it can't sure. be all a bunch of fluff. So I just recommend to people that, um, you know, come with the nuts and bolts, but, you know, start with a story. And then at the end, after you've gone through all the nuts and bolts, tie it up and kind of bring it back to how you started the story. You know, so you got a beginning, middle and end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You make some some excellent points. Um, let, let's take a little bit of a pivot here. You know, you've, you've kind of you've, you've entered the active side of the, the real estate syndications and you, you definitely want to dive into that. Like before you do, like. I, I know that there's different, um, you know, we talk to different people who want to be passive or whether they're active or passive, they seem, some people seem to want to go the other way with it. And I'm sure you might have some kind of like horror stories, you know, like, is there anything like that in your world that you could share with us? I have a ton, you know, I mean, in general, just if you are considering being active and you're a full-time uh, employee somewhere, just realize um, it's a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to, I'll pick one and it, it ties into that same place I was talking about that I purchased with the, the solo 401k. That, that was an interesting story where, you know, the, the property was doing well, but actually there was two properties and both, both tenants were challenging. There's two of them, right? And in one of them, we kept the, the uh, AC get, kept getting stolen. We're like, what, what is going on? Like we, we can't keep replacing these AC units, you know? And um, I mean, I can't, I think it happened at least, at least three times, if not four. And um, it, it was tough because it was out in Palm Desert and we we're in, we we're in LA at that time. And, um, you know, you just can't, can't run over every 15 minutes and check on the property. So we we're like, and we, we did have property management and they were actually out in the Palm Desert area. But whatever, for whatever reason, we just kept losing those AC units and it was costing us a lot of money. Plus, there was other things like they're stealing our copper wire. And, uh, you know, it was just it was a bit of a tough neighborhood. And um, so finally, we did a stakeout and we found out the person who was stealing our AC units was our tenant and he was selling them. And then he would tell us, uh got stolen again. And um, so uh, it was definitely time for eviction. And um, my partner went to have a conversation with him and uh, he basically threatened to kill him. (laughs) And we think he was pretty serious, actually. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to kill you. Um, He was basically like, if you evict me, um, I'm going to kill you. And uh, so it it was, uh, it's, it's not one of my more fun stories, um, but we did eventually get him out. Um, the ACs stopped being stolen. I we thought for sure we we thought this guy was going to come back and burn down the house. But um, we ended up selling that. I think within I think it was within a year of that. 
um, we ended up selling, you know, there, that's the thing about active. Sometimes it becomes so much work. I have a bunch of stories where the, 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 the properties were cash flowing nicely. You know, I wanted to hang on to them, but they just became too much trouble. And even though I had property management, I would get calls from neighbors, you know, complain about me because they knew I was the owner and, you know, I was the slumlord, which I was not. Well, I, my, all, all the homes I had were, this is back in the single family days. They were all pretty, pretty nice. You know, I always made it a good, good place to live, but and I had a lot of great tenants, you know, they weren't all bad, but, um, I, every once in a while, you know, you come to that tenant and, and it would be all nice on the surface in the beginning. And then things would take a turn and, and yeah, eventually, and it's not that easy to get them out depending on what state you're in. Like yeah. you know, at homes up in Seattle at homes down here in California, you know, those are, uh, those are pretty uh, tenant friendly states. Right. Yeah. That's uh, some scary stuff. You know, we've had, uh, we've had a little bit of, uh, uh, experience with that, not necessarily, you know, uh, threats of violence or of death, but definitely like walking into the house, like, holy smokes, like there's no way that you can continue staying here with, with our stuff, you know, in this condition, like this is crazy. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So everybody out there beware, you know, there's a lot of, a, a lot of stuff that comes with uh, running your own deals or being on the active side. There yeah. is. I, I've seen a few cockroaches in my life. That's, that's just, just a few, a lot of cockroach eggs, like plastered behind a picture on the wall. Yeah. I uh, yeah. didn't know that was a thing, uh, but it is. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. Um, uh, actually, I want to take a, a little bit of, a, of another pivot, uh, mm-hmm. talking about like underwriting. And mm-hmm. we know that underwriting is like this huge, uh, critical component of any investment, you know. And so developing this skill is a benefit for everyone on the team, really. But um, can you talk to me a little bit like how, how you like developed your underwriting and, you know, like what are some of the red flags to be aware of, you know, when someone like me or some, some of our listeners are out there when they're doing their own underwriting, mm-hmm. um, what's anything that pops up to you? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I tell, I tell my passive investors that I look under the underwriting for them. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, you know, yes, everybody should be, should be familiar with underwriting. It's a fancy term for analyzing the numbers, you know, on a deal. And there are the, you know, there are the things that are obvious. Like if you get an investment summary, you want to look for aggressive rent growth and um, you might want to consider, you know, is, is there a refinance in the deal? Um, Cause that can, that can inflate the cash on cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely improves the cash on cash. Right. And the thing about a refinance is, and this is tricky because if you're doing a value add at some point, that's the, the plan, right? I mean, not always, but in a lot of cases, you're hoping to go in, fix up the joint and, you know, get your renovation completed within 24 months at least and and go back to the bank and say, hey, look at this and get it reappraised and, and get uh, get some pull some cash out tax free and, you know, return a lot of the capital to the investors. But the problem is there's um, there's just so much uncertainty there. You know, like what are interest rates going to be doing at that time? Um, are you are you sure you're going to get that refinance at that time? You know, so. There's a lot of things that are just unpredictable. Um, and when you're doing projections, you know, you're already sort of looking into crystal ball anyway. I mean, look, that's what underwriting is. You you, you make assumptions, but you make them um, evaluate them on uh, hard data as much as you can. Sure. And so, you know, a lot of times those projections um, are, are pretty accurate, but you kind of want to take out as much uncertainty as possible. Which is, you know, we can kind of speak to the current time, you know, how do you underwrite a property now, you know, with with COVID and, and evictions and 
eviction moratoriums, I should say. And it it's tricky. And I think when COVID first hit, I was like, oh, I'm not touching anything. But I've actually really changed my tune because the great thing about multifamily is, one, people need a place to live, you know. And they, I, we're finding in most cases that people don't really want to screw that up. They don't, they don't want to get into bad standing with their, their uh, landlords. So they're doing what they can. And, you know, people will say, well, A class is great. B class is great. C class is great. Something, some advantage to being at the bottom of the market. And when I say bottom, I mean like lower rents, lower prices. Those those people with rents that are actually you know quite affordable to most folks, those rents can actually get covered by some of the government plans that are that are coming in. Um, so you know, obviously, you don't want your building to be completely uh, unemployed and living off the dole, but um, it is something to consider. But getting back to your original question on uh, you know red flags and underwriting. Just recently, you know, I, I, I'm sort of the insulation between me and my investors in terms of what deals are going to even come to them, right? Like, it'll be months and they won't see a deal. And then all of a sudden, hey, they see a deal. Well, you know, in between that time, we're looking at all, all kinds of deals, right? And recently I had a, a nice looking property. I mean, the pictures were very impressive. You know, you got fountains, you got pools and, you know, you think you look at it and you think, man, this is this is one stable property. But um, you know, looking at the underwriting, it just looked like it was underwritten in any. It could have been any year. Um, it looked like they had learned underwriting and they applied all those principles, but they forgot one thing, and that's that this is a different time right now. And who knows? You know, the coming year may it may not turn out as bad as every buddy is afraid it might. But you do have to underwrite. You you have to you have to write it in as if it will be because you're project you're you're protecting your your investors money right sure. and if things don't go bad and you've underwritten you know say i don't know 25 percent vacancy for instance or you know 10 percent uh physical and another 15 percent economic vacancy and it turns out that you're only eight percent vacant well then your your investors are pretty stoked you know they've they you, you've landed far north of your projections you really have to i always try to explain some of the fundamentals like exit cap and you know i talked about the refinance and inflated um rent projections you you want everybody needs to be familiar with, with those those types of things and i i mean i truly believe everybody should learn an underwriting model or two if they can but a lot of passive investors are just busy professionals they don't want to be bothered they just want to get a good return on their money so, you know, it's up to guys like you and me to, to just kind of sift through the bad deals and just present them deals that, that are going to give them a good return. And, and uh, you know, the, the operators are going to have a high level of integrity, you know, which is a number one. Sure. And and that their their you know their wealth is going to be preserved. Yeah, you make some pretty critical points there. I think it kind of boils down to this, like hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And when, exactly. the, when the numbers work in the worst case scenario, which Based on these hard data, maybe we'll get there, but maybe not. But this data supports it probably won't go that far. Well, then now, like everybody is, everybody's stoked. You know, it's pretty easy to get behind deals like that. Yeah, conservative underwriting. And I'm not sure that people really understand when you say this this deal is underwritten conservatively. I'm not sure, you know, you know, educated investors, of course, know what that means, but mm. um, it just gives you a lot of margins, uh, a large, a lot of margin for error, sets you up for success. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to you make a, a point, you know, just seeing like these aggressive numbers, you know, like, yeah, we're forced to 
use this data and gaze into this crystal ball, but I mean, no one can really see what's going on. And you got to pay attention like, man, that he's got a really aggressive approach to this, you know, and that might not, that's kind of a tall order there, you know, and it's pretty important to be able to just like spot that stuff immediately, you know, like an exit cap rate. I'm like, man, that doesn't really drive <laughs> with what's going on right now, you exactly. know, or, or in the foreseeable future. So exactly. Man, it's huge. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've, uh, I just recently had a deal uh, proposed to me and, and, you know, on the surf, I love the market. I was really excited about the market. I got it and I looked at it and, and the exit cap was really thin, you know, like really close to, well, for one thing, they were basing it against the purchase cap of that building. And, that, you know, it's just one building. You know, you really got to base it against the stabilized market cap, you know, the, the market sediment for sentiment, all those comps in that area, not just one. One doesn't make a difference. It's just one building. Sure. So when you're looking at that exit cap, you know, they say the rule of thumb is like, uh, what is it? Uh, um, 0.1% per year of the hold you want to add to the current stabilized market cap. So if there's a, the current stabilized market cap is five, then the very least, they'll, you know, so they'll say 50 basis points, which is basically 0.5%. So you want that, if it, if the stabilized market cap is five, you want it to be 5.5. Well, you know, I feel more comfortable with a six, you know. Well, in this case, on um, in this particular building, it was actually less than the stabilized uh, market cap. Actually, I think a median uh, market cap is really the way to go. Averages can kind of get messed up with a few few properties. Yep. But um, yeah, you know, so I just took one look at that. I was like, yeah, I, you, you know, you know pretty quickly when something's uh, underwritten really aggressively and. And you just can't put you or your investors in that in that uh, position. Okay, so it, it, going, I guess, on that, is there? A, let's say, like, what would you do if you can't find adequate information, you know, about a client's like financial status, or like how, like, how do you ensure that uh, that you've done thorough research? Well, when you say client, what are you talking about? Well, I, talking? I, well, I get I may misuse the word, but I'm like in thinking like a, a property or a. a a deal that you have going, like, you know, if you, I, I guess I'm thinking like the, the, the owner and like what they have all their stuff put together in terms of uh, yeah. just their books, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, this is kind of like what I was talking about, like looking under the underwriting and really in order to do that, it's, it's really handy to have boots on the ground, but let's say you just want to kind of look at the data to get, so just do a quick sketch you know, it's important that you have access to like a Yardie report or a CoStar because, you know, then you get the access to all the comps. It's just like, let's say you're out there buying a house and um, you want to make sure that you're paying, you know, the right price for that house. You look around all the comps, right? And you, you see like properties that aren't too far away, see what they're going for. What kind of, um, well, in the terms of a, a rental house, you'd be looking at what kind of rents are they charging. In one in one particular uh, instance, you know, I was looking at a property and I'm trying to think here, but the rent, the vacancy was really strong and it was attractive. You know, I think it was like 97%. And then I looked at the, I think I was looking at a co-star report and I had seen that the, the vacancy had risen up the past year. Now, this is a property that was for sale, for instance. Uh, mind you. And it was 88% only a year prior. I was like, well, that's weird. It's really brought up. I mean, they've really, maybe they've really just uh, improved the operations and they, you know, they're doing the value add and they're leaving some meat on the bone for me. But as it turned out, I looked at the rents from a year prior and they're $150 more than they were at this time. So when the rents were higher, they weren't getting the vacancy or excuse me, the occupancy they, they needed. 
I always do that. I was, I was switch occupancy and vacancy. There's a big difference there. Right. It was, um, it had been 80%, 88% occupied at the higher rents. So they, they weren't getting that rent that they were going after. And then to, it looked like what they were doing was they were trying to fill the building, boost up that vacancy to get it sold. Buyer who doesn't do their homework, they'll say, oh, it's 97% occupied and it's, it's been trending up. That's, that's a good sign. Sure. Um, but why is that? You know, you got to find out why. It's pretty simple um, if you get the, the right data. So that was another red flag. Yeah, that's a, it's huge. It's, it, um, like you said, you know, if you know how to look at that data, it, some of that stuff should be easy to, to easy to spot. You know, they're trying to fudge the numbers there, but, yep. you know, you, you, you can you can see those trends and uh, yeah, it's super important that you spot them, but it shouldn't be that hard when you know what you're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know, and I know, unfortunately, people out there fudging the numbers. And so uh, it, yeah, it's important to have people, people, the right people on your side, you know. Um, that are on your side, on your team, and can kind of, you know, help you find some of those, those, uh, those things. Because yeah, they're, you know, the people out there, they're, they're not horrible people, but they're trying to make their asset look maybe a little nicer than it actually is. Sure, sure. Man, Rick, you know, you've been uh, extremely valuable. Uh, you got a lot of information. I really appreciate you being able to come on and uh, share some time with me today. And, uh, you know, b- before we go, like, I want to shine the spotlight on you. Just tell uh, tell me, tell all the listeners, like, what do you have going on? How can they get a hold of you? Anything you'd like to share? All right. Well, I appreciate I appreciate being on, by the way, Chris. It's been fun. Yeah, well, come to my website first. That's uh, fortressfederation.com. I know it's a mouthful, but I think it rolls off the tongue nicely. Um, it should be easy to remember. And when you go there, you can go to the learn section and there's a lot of blog articles that I write. Uh, there's a lot of video. I have a YouTube channel um, that I just kind of put up recently and um, that's getting some traction and and just a lot of educational content up there. Shoot me a message either at info at fortressfederation.com or rick at fortressfederation.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Fortress Federation on LinkedIn. You can find Fortress Federation on Facebook. Um, But uh, yeah, reach out anytime. I I have a, I have a, it's it's called the Quick Start Guide to uh, Real Estate Syndications. Actually, the Comprehensive Quick Start Guide to Investing in Real Estate Syndications because it can be kind of overwhelming, you know, like where to start. And I'm, I'm a big fan of those quick start guides you get when you open up a box of electronics or whatever, and they got like a big manual, or then they have the quick start. And uh, I always go for the quick start <laughs> and I can get rolling. Um, but I have a lot of a lot of stuff in that um, ebook, and it has a bunch of hot links that take you to various articles and videos. Um, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of value packed into that that little ebook. So come on by, please. Man, that's awesome, Rick. You, uh, you seem to be putting out a lot of great stuff and uh, you have a lot of value to provide to uh, those willing to sit and read and listen. And uh, can't really even thank you enough for that. But, um, you know, we'll make sure to include all those, all the links and everything that you mentioned. We're going to put all that stuff in the show notes so everybody can have quick access to that. And uh, Rick, man, you, it was great having you on the show. Uh, we could probably talk about this stuff, you know, really until we kind of go blue in the face. Uh, but uh, I Love really talking think- shop. Exactly right. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, guys, that's kind of all we have uh, today. And so to our listeners, you know, thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.